If you haven't already done so, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Our plans are to finish chapter 1 this morning and get into chapter 2. Uh, we are ready for verse 24. So I'll read 24 through 29, which goes through the end of the chapter. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from past, gen from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we, and we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to the power which mightily works within me. You may have noticed uh, a change to the first person that happened the last part of verse 23. You know, Paul had not used the first person, but now he seems to start focusing on some things personally. And one of those is suffering. And notice he starts off in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. That might strike you as a little strange. We don't generally rejoice in sufferings. So, why do you think Paul might say he was rejoicing in suffering? and have that attitude. Anybody got any thoughts on that? Boy? Well, uh, just uh, recently, reading through the book, uh, I, I got a new impression. You know, when, uh, when the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, uh, he, he's not appointed with these brethren. But... Uh, all through this letter, uh, the things that he says, the way that he says them, he, he is uh, uh, really illustrating the things that he is telling them they need to be. And I, I, I just am, am impressed. I, I can't, uh, uh, I can't help but think that when they were finished, when when this letter was finished being read to them. They not only would have loved Jesus more and God more, but they would have loved the Apostle Paul for the attitude that he had because he illustrates every principle that he uh, is discussing with them in this letter. 
Okay? I think that's a good point. Lord. He's suffering for someone else. Uh, and, well, I'm sorry, he's suffering to teach them about Christ on their behalf that they might be saved. Christ suffered for him. He's suffering for them. And therefore, he's rejoicing because he's sacrificing for them in the name of Christ. Okay. I think that's uh, a reasonable conclusion. Gary. Okay. Uh, in fact, Paul was specifically told back before or as he was uh, in the process of being converted, shall we say, but before he became a Christian. Uh, if you look in Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 15 and 16, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So, Paul knew going in he was going to suffer. And so, his suffering was confirmation that he was doing what it was that the Lord had in mind for him to do. So yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. Any other thoughts? Paul, I think, considered it a high honor to be able to take the gospel message to the world. And if that included suffering, as the Lord said it would, then he was willing to do that and even rejoice that he could do that as a help to them, as Lloyd pointed out, as well as all those that he was proclaiming the gospel to. Because clearly that suffering was tied to his proclaiming the gospel. If he didn't stand up for the cause of Christ, if he wasn't preaching what he was preaching, then he wouldn't have had to have suffered. It was a direct correlation there. So, I think all that goes into his thoughts of Rejoicing with that suffer, uh, Carrie. He might have also remembered how he had made Christians suffer, and uh, thinking, "Well, it's coming back to me. I'm, I know I'm supposed to suffer because that's what Christ said." But also, I made the ones before me suffer. Okay. Yeah, that that's a good point too. Uh, Nina, do you have? 23 is sad 
That's an important distinction. That's good. Okay. Uh, we do find this consistent with the other apostles. If you look in Acts chapter 5, in this context, you know, Peter and John have been put in, uh, in prison uh, for preaching the gospel. And then they're, uh, they're able to get out and uh, continue to do that. And then the, they get before the Sanhedrin. And uh, if you look at verses 40 and 41 of Acts chapter 5, uh, and they, it would be the Sanhedrin, took his advice. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. So, Paul's attitude is very consistent with the attitude of the other apostles uh, going back to very early in the establishment of the church. So, those are good thoughts. Then he does go on to say, uh, you know, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's affliction. I wanted to talk about that last part, filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And I want to start off with what I'm sure it doesn't mean. And then we can talk about what it does mean. Because we've talked about really throughout this class, and I really consider this to be the theme of Colossians is Jesus is all we need. You know, last class we were looking at Jesus' role in creation and he was sufficient to create everything. And tying that in with his role in redemption and how he was sufficient to accomplish redemption. And so Jesus is all that they needed 
and I would submit is all that we need as well. So, whatever this means about that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions, it doesn't mean that Christ's sacrifice is in any way inadequate. It serves the purpose it was intended to serve. The shedding of his blood was sufficient to cover the sins of those who come to him. So it doesn't mean that. So what does it mean? And there are a lot of differing views on that. So I thought I might open it up and see what you think. I got a couple of ideas I'll share in a little bit. But anybody have any thoughts on what does it mean when it talks about filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions? That's a tough one. Other thoughts? Yeah, Ryan. So, one of the, it seems like one of the reasons that Jesus died is because the Jews killed him. They didn't, they didn't want <laughs> The Jews killed Christ. Uh-huh. Part of the reason was because he tried to introduce us into a, a good land. We tried to give us a worship. Okay. So when he died, that, that suffering was so that we could have that portion. Now, Paul's going to turn around and he's going to try and fill up that void that Christ created. He's going to allow us in. Okay. So through Paul's suffering, he fills in the void that Christ created in a good, good land, good portion. Just like he told him at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Good thought. 
Anything else? Phil. I mean, in the context, he's talking about what he's doing on behalf of the church. On behalf of the church. And there's other references, like in 1 Corinthians 16, 17, uh, where other, I rejoice over the coming of uh, Stephanus and Fortunus, Achaeus, because they have supplied what is lacking on your part. He is, it's, so, it's not what Christ is lacking, it's what the church as a whole is lacking. Paul is trying to do his part to fill that need. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good thoughts. Anything else? Nine. up uh, an interesting point. She's talking about, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And one thing that I ran across that I think makes some sense in that regard, I think it could mean that Paul was hoping that his sufferings would take some of the attention and persecution off of the Colossians. And by Paul being the one that is proclaiming this message, uh, not that he personally taught all of them, but he's certainly a focus of that message. And he's suffering, he's in prison for this. And so by doing that, it might take some of the attention off of them decrease their persecution and thereby lighten their load. And the pictures we have of Paul, that to me makes sense, that he would want to make their load as light as possible. But recognizing, you'll still suffer. So, uh, 
Okay, anything else? Okay, I, uh, one other thing that, uh, that I read that I thought made a lot of sense in this uh, particular uh, talking about the what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Paul looked at the afflictions of Christ and how much that cost him. And he sees a deficiency in what it's costing him personally. What did Christ have to give? Well, he gave his life. Paul hasn't done that. At least not yet. Now, we know the rest of the story, so... Uh, but at this point, he had not suffered to the same extent that Jesus had. And so he may just be saying, I haven't gotten up to that standard yet. May not, although I think he kind of knew what was coming. Uh, so I think he may be saying that. Uh, that actually made the most sense to me in all the things that I looked at. Uh, so I thought I'd share that with you. But it, it's a difficult passage. And there are a bunch of other views out there. Uh, so, uh, okay, any last thoughts or comments on that before we move on? Okay. And then, uh, verse 25 says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. So he talks about his ministry and doing this for their benefit, which uh, certainly was. But then he talks about the mystery that has been hidden from past ages and generations and has now been manifested to his saints. The idea of mystery, I think back in this culture at this time, there was a lot of mysticism going on. And there was, in general, a belief that only a few, the select few, the elite, would have knowledge of these mysteries. And Paul shoots some holes in that, as well he should. But the mystery, I think, is pretty clear. Uh, the mystery would be God's plan for redemption. We, we actually find that talked about in the book of Ephesians. 
Uh, so I'd like to look over there. Uh, really, Paul identifies it a little more in Ephesians chapter 3 than in what, he, what he does here in Colossians. But as we've seen, there are a lot of parallels between Ephesians and Colossians, written around the same time period. But uh, Ephesians chapter 3, I want to read verses 1 through 7. It says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which is given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So, I think Paul makes pretty clear what the mystery is. It was hidden for a time and certainly the Old Testament prophets even in revealing what they revealed probably didn't fully understand what they were talking about but now it's been revealed it's no longer a mystery it's no longer hidden and it's not just the Jews that can benefit, but the Gentiles as well. So, God's plan from the beginning was to redeem man from his sins, to buy him back by giving his son. And this has now been revealed and revealed to everyone. It's not just for a select few, but everyone can partake of the benefits of this. And he goes on in verse 27, <clears throat> because the, the sentence is not ending yet. But it says, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, it's now been revealed to everyone. It's not hidden anymore. And through Christ, we can have that hope. And he calls that a treasure or riches. Depends on what translation you're looking at. Uh, but the riches of the glory of this mystery. Well, like treasure. In fact, Jesus had a parable, a really short parable, but a parable about treasure. 
in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field it's worth whatever price has to be paid because it's that important a treasure So we have true riches or blessings only in Christ. All the other treasures, all the other things that we might value in life ultimately don't endure. The rich young ruler had problems with that. He wasn't willing to give up the physical treasures that he had. And so he ended up going away sorrowful. We should treasure this gift and share it with others as well. Yeah, right. certainly some evidence that would point toward that even the a lot of the Jews that believed they thought the Gentiles had to become Jews first they needed to be circumcised and so there was an issue there that had to be resolved so that's that's some evidence that would support what you were saying right uh, Gary and then Leanne over there. So many, so many times people, not, not only in the times past, but even today, they ask themselves the question, who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose of life? And most importantly, most people fear death and all things. They wonder what's going to happen to me when I die. <laughs> and with Jesus coming and giving us his Father's will, he answered all of these questions. Live for him to be about his business, to be about his father's business. And when we do all of that, and all of that, the, the peace that surpasses understanding comes to our heart when we're in harmony with God. And that's, that's all the mystery that's solved and answered all these questions for us. Yeah, excellent point. Leanne.
Oftentimes have trouble seeing the forest for the trees. So, uh, anything else? Yeah, Brad. It, it reminds me too of Ezekiel 36. Um, he's going to take us out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. You might think oh, he's going to bring the Jews back from all the countries. What if it's more than just the Jews that come back from every country? He says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities. I will give you a a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So um, just a, a picture of Christ in you. Hope, Lord, God's going to fill our hearts, our new hearts, with His Spirit, and uh, we'll be eager to fill up and do all the things that God wants us to do. Right. Good point. Yeah, that Brad mentioned, you know, the hope of glory, and uh, wanted to bring up uh, Romans chapter eight in that regard. Romans chapter 8 verses uh, 16 through 18. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so this hope of glory, that can really keep us going. When we're suffering, we know it's temporary. And there's something so much better waiting. And, you know, many of the the comments that have been made are looking to that. And uh, I certainly think that was intended in this message to the Colossians and to us as well. Okay, anything else on that? Okay, uh, verses 28 and 29 says, And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So, I think Paul's trying to emphasize and make a point. This is for everyone. 
he uses the phrase every man three times. And it's not just men, it's every person. This is for everyone. And everyone has access if they're willing to submit themselves, become children of the king. So, it's not just for the elite. It's for all of us. And then at the end of verse 28, says that we may present every man complete in Christ. Some translations might say perfect, but really the thought there of being complete is the idea of being mature in Christ. And to be mature, that means we've grown. Uh, and we've received spiritual nourishment. And that's a process that should continue throughout our lives. We can't live physically if we don't receive nourishment. I would submit that we can't live spiritually either if we don't. So, we need to take in this spiritual nourishment. And there are many opportunities for that. Uh, and so I would encourage each of you to take advantage of those opportunities. One thing, I mean, this time of year, there's a lot of gospel meetings. And going to hear the preaching of the gospel, as well as worshiping together with other Christians and other congregations, can be very uplifting and helps us in our growth. So, I would encourage us to do that. Uh, the idea of being mature or fully grown, uh, look over in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects in, into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So I thought, what better commentary than what is pointed out there in Ephesians 4. And then... Uh, Verse 29 talks about labor and specifically his labor uh, 
and his striving. And the word striving, actually the Greek word for that is the word that we get agonize from. And that's also the same word that we find in the next verse, chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. Struggle and striving are from the same root word. And it's the word that we get agonized from. And so that should give us an idea of what this labor and this striving is. We need to do everything that we can. Put forth maximum effort and do so for the glory of God. And the power to do that comes from Christ. When we focus on Christ and that goal of heaven, then our striving, our labor gets a whole lot easier. to comments on chapter one. Okay. Uh, close the book on that and get into chapter two in the few minutes we have left. Uh, so I want to read the first five verses of Colossians chapter two. It says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. So, he expresses his concern for them, but points out he hadn't personally met a lot of them. 
But did Paul have to personally meet you and know you to care about you? The, the obvious answer here is no. He cares about them. He's concerned about them. He's praying for them. Even though he's not met many of them. So, what would cause him to do that? He felt a common bond. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, we need to feel that common bond as well. And, not just with the people we personally know. Dan Cain's over in Sierra Leone, preaching the gospel, helping to encourage brethren there, converting others. He was here a few months ago. And he encouraged us to pray for that work and for those fellow Christians who we've never met. In this life, probably never will. So we need to share that concern, that, that interest that Paul had for those that he had not personally met as well. And then he asks that their, car, their hearts may be encouraged or comforted, uh, having been knit together in love. The word encouraged there we find that same word used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to look over at that. In verses 16 and 17. It says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and has given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So, the same thought that we find there in 2 Thessalonians that we find here as well. And he wants to comfort and strengthen them. And in view of the dangers that they were facing, dangers from false teachers, dangers from persecution, it was important to be strengthened. And one of the ways that they could be strengthened was being knit together in love in verse 2. And so there's an expression, there's strength in numbers. And so when we have one another 
to lean on. It really helps us. And so we need to make sure we take advantage of that. As well as be one that can be leaned on. One that can be counted on. An encourager to help others through the difficulties that they have to face. So, we will uh, end there and on Wednesday night we will continue on in chapter 2. Thank you for your comments.